Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello and welcome to Raw, The Fight Within, a brand new podcast series hosted by me, Coogan Cassius. Over the course of the series, I'll be sitting down with some of the most high-profile figures from the world of boxing, including fighters, trainers and promoters, in order to dig a little deeper and understand their own personal stories. This podcast is about much more than simply what happens inside the ring. It's about the journey, the sacrifices, the agony, the ecstasy, the highs, the lows, the tears and the fears. It's about getting to know the person. Thank you for tuning in. And I really hope you enjoy it. If you do, be sure to like, comment and subscribe. This podcast is suitable for over-18s only, as it may contain adult content and explicit language. Hello and welcome to Raw The Fight Within. Delighted to be joined by my long-term friend, Mr Johnny Nelson, who's kindly agreed to donate um, his Don't even purse. say it. <laughs> what? Yeah, the fee. The fee you're paying The payment. fee to the Coogan yeah. Cassius... Yeah, foundation. Struda, all all fifty two pence of it. Fifty two pence. Yeah, can't really buy anything for fifty two pence anymore, can you? It used to be ten pence in the hedges back in the day when I was at school. Oh wow! You used to sell them ten pence a piece. Did you make really? a pound we'll at the end of the day? That. Don't don't Sorry, like, spoil it now. Um, Johnny, thank you for coming on Raw, the fight within. Um, you were a bit offended because I hadn't asked you previously. Well, I'd actually seen it and I thought, Coogie, you've done it again. Uh, I saw. Your show with Eddie, I thought it was brilliant. Uh, I think it's a great concept. I think you've got the the platform to do it, and you you just have that relationship with almost everybody to be able to <clears throat> to get an honest and direct convo out of it. So it's either that they they're not threatened by you, <laughs> or you or they respect you. And so let's let's go for the latter. Okay, I'll take that. Um, right, let's ease you in nice and easy. Um, your first ever memories of boxing, what were they? Uh, my first was probably my, my introduction uh, through my brother. Uh, my elder brother used to box. <clears throat> he was my hero. Followed him everywhere. So cool. Proper cool guy. And uh, he started boxing. I actually I actually had no interest in it at all. Um, I just followed my brother around. 
And so my first introduction was was him. I knew of Ali and I knew you know, my dad fought Sonny Liston. And, you know, I always loved Sonny Liston over Ali back in the day. Um, but um, um, but then my brother was that inspiration from the off. The only reason, the only reason I went to the gym was to just to hang about with my brother. Do you remember the first ever fight you went to? Ever? Yeah. Yeah. I hated it. I hated it. The downside of going to the boxing club to make friends was boxing. I didn't want to box. I just went to make friends. Um, and, and my brother, because we've got different fathers, our second names are different. We look nothing like each other. He's light skinny. And I mean, he looks like a white guy with an afro. Um, so you'd have no idea we were related. Um, and so, but then I'd made a, a smaller circle of friends within the gym. And these men are talking about going to the show and knocking people out. And I'm on the, on the bus thinking, God, I don't want to do this. And, um, but that was the downside. If I wanted to carry on going to the gym, I had to box. And it, I was fronting it out. I never told Brendan I never wanted to box. I think I was probably brainwashed into boxing. Uh, but that's the only reason why. I was a proper mummy's boy. A proper mummy's boy. Who was the first fighter? I mean, I can probably guess a couple of these names here, but... Who was the first fighter that you actually started to watch that kind of almost made you fall in love with boxing? Like, what was it about him? Who was that, and what was it about them? Michael Nunn. Mm. You thought I was going to say Muhammad Ali. Michael Nunn. <coughs> Michael second to Nunn. <coughs> um, he was with the Goosens. And um, super middleweight, southpaw, badass, proper badass fighter. And I used to put his fights on and watch him over and over and over again. And I'd, I'd fall asleep to it on thinking, you know, when you've got that kid got his book and he's like trying hoping it all sinks into his head subconsciously while he's, sleep, uh, while he's sleeping. Michael Nunn, uh, he was the one I watched. Uh, Sugar Leonard, Thomas Hearns, that fight over and over again. I just thought, if I keep watching it, if I keep watching it, if I keep watching it, then I'll be as good as them. Um, and and that Michael Nunn, then Ali, of course. And then you then you start to, to spread your, your your knowledge and look at, other fighters. This is, I always find this next question quite interesting to ask people, and some people can't really answer it because of their long-term association involvement in boxing. But do you ever think about if you weren't in boxing, yeah, what you'd be sat here doing now? I be you sat definitely here. wouldn't be sitting here talking to me. No, no. I wouldn't even uh, know you. Uh, if I didn't box, there was two ways I was going to go. Um, I was always a good talker. Well. Eventually, after being in the gym, um, <clears throat> and uh, I went for a, a job interview as a sales rep to sell uh, like vitamins and and sporting um, uh, sporting goods, and it was a three piece interview. And uh, if you got the first interview, was the introduction. The second interview, they they thought, all right, something about this. If you got invited to the third interview, you had the job. They were going to offer you a contract. Did the first interview. Did the second interview. Um, and so they invited me back to Birmingham from Sheffield for a third interview, which meant I've got the job. That's, but basically, company car, starting off on 25 bags uh, a year, back then. Back then? Yeah, and, I, and, and I'd read somewhere that 8% of the highest earners in Europe are salesmen. And so I thought, I've got a job. Now, at this time, I was uh, working at Wimpy, Fast food joint next, uh, and 
Wade Smith, it was a trainer shop. I had three part-time jobs to fit around the boxing, and I was no good at boxing. And um, I was a bit of a hustler, just all over, just hustling, just not, not, not an illegal hustler, I was a lovable rogue. And um, I knew I'd got a job now, and I thought, if I go for this, that means I've got a job, it means I can't box. This time now, I've had, I've, t- I've had 13 amateur fights, I've only won three, I've lost... I'm on a losing streak. I probably, I'm probably in my fifth, profe- fourth professional fight. I've only won one. But I thought, if I take a job, it means I can't train. I can't go to the gym. And I didn't turn up. And, and I, I kicked myself thinking, idiot, why don't you turn up? Even years later, I think, God, if only. Why don't you, what, what else would you have been doing? You might have been like a top salesman doing whatever, earning mad money. Uh, and, um, and, uh, and when I tell people that, they like, laugh and think, but look at what you've done. I think I think we're all we've all got a path in life, and um, some of us are knowing the, the the second we come out of our mother's out of our mother's womb, some of us fall on it. Some of us are forced onto it. I think I was forced onto it. I think uh, the, the path I'm on is a path set for me. Do you know? Just going back to when you used to work at Wimpy, did they? Obviously, I'm assuming they made you dress like Mr. Wimpy. Yes, they did. Well, did you have to do that? Yes, like the burger, was it a burger outfit? Yes, I did, Mr. Wimpy. It was wor- So the Wimpy I worked on, there's a place, a precinct in Sheffield called Fargate, and on the Saturday, all the boys would go up there, get the ghetto blasters, blood dropping the music, everybody like roller skates, you know, body popping, all that sort of stuff on top of the precinct. Now, I've got a job at Wimpy, about four or five shops down. I never wanted to work on a Saturday. Um, and so when it was my Saturday to work, I dreaded it. Because I knew them man had come inside Wimpy. So I can say it now because I don't work there. They'd come in, buy fries, and I'd give them like quart pounder with cheese, fries, chicken burgers. They'd walk out after buying like fries for, I don't know, 50 pence. They'd walk out with about five quid's worth of food. And, um, and it was just hard because I could see them all outside having a good time and I'm, I'm working. And, um, and then they'd have kids' parties. And uh, so it was my turn on a Saturday to do a kids' party. Now, I dreaded it because Mr. Wimpy sometimes had to go out on Fargate on the precinct and hand leaflets out to everybody coming by and do the kids' party. So um, I got out of going on to Fargate to do the to do the kids' party because me, like all the guys on the precinct, we used to kick Mr. Wimpy when we saw him on the precinct. So I thought, them man are going to kick me and he won't be sure if it's me or not. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm like, we used to proper give him a hard time, Mr. Wimpy. Uh, so... Uh, I had to do this kid's party. We're upstairs doing the kid's party. I'm doing ring and ring and One of the kids pulled my glove off and saw my big black hand pop out. Oh, my God, Mr. Whippy's black! Mr. Whippy's black! All the kids start... One screams, they're all screaming. I'm like... I'm like... And so they all run downstairs. Are you uh, in full costume? I'm in full see. costume. It's like you're in a big envelope. So so you can't take the head off. The whole body comes off. And... Um, you got the tights on the big Mr. Wimpy shoes. So I'm running after him, trying to stop him from going outside. Because if you go outside and shout Mr. Wimpy's black, they know it's me. I'm the only black guy that works there. So so you've got a one one glove Mr. Wimpy with a black hand chasing these kids to try and pull them back inside. They run outside, Mr. Wimpy's black, Mr. Wimpy's black. I got out of this suit quick. Took it off from sweating cobs, went back down behind the till. And uh, my mate Willie was on, on he was on Fargate. <clears throat> and he came in and went, Have you just been Mr. Wimpy? Oh, no, man, they've been stupid, they've been stupid. But they used to give me so much stick. But I think, I think, I had a work ethic, 
I wasn't good at school. I, I had my reading, terrible. I read like a 10-year-old. Writing, terrible. Uh, Mummy's boy, as I said, spoke to adults. I wasn't very good. Um, and then, so when I left school, I can remember there's that period where you can't sign on because you're too young. So you, you, you're skinned, you've got no money. Mm. They walked me out of school. I didn't do any exams. I, I was walked out of school at the eight, 50, age of just 10, 15. And... Um, and and I, kept, I went to London. You know, I went to down to London because one of my brothers lived down there. I worked in Brixton Market selling umbrellas for a pound there in the on the the Battersea, Battersea Clock Tower, I think it is selling doing selling one pound umbrellas. First time I saw Frank Bruno then um, driving in a red Escort. And, um, so I stayed in London for a year. Went back to Sheffield um, and I signed on. I went down, walked down to the, the, the place to, I don't know if kids know what signing on now is, to get a gyro or whatever you call it these days. And uh, I was queuing up for my money. And I'm like thinking, I felt ashamed. I thought, I'm never doing this again. I'm not doing it. So I signed on, got my gyro. I'm walking back, feeling sorry for myself. And there was a Suzuki garage on the way to walking home. And I walked to the door of the garage. And they had those Suzuki Vitara Jeeps with no top on. And I'm looking, I used to love them. I remember them. Yeah, I used to love them. I'm stood there looking in the window. I thought, let me go inside and have a look. I went to walk inside the showroom. The man that came to the door and said, where are you going, mate? I said, I'm just having a look. He said, you can't afford anything here, son. And he, he didn't even move to the side. I just say, you're not coming in. And all right, and walked on. I'm walking thinking, you bastard. You know, one day, Did one you day. you like pretty woman? <laughs> yeah. I thought, one day? This way, one day. And um, I used to see drain, Range Rovers drive past and think, I wonder what you've got to do to have a car like that. I'd just be people watching, watching them come and think, what do you do to have that? I'll be able to afford a car like that. That's why it's my favourite car now. I got home, I said to my mum, I'm never signing on again. She said, what are you going to do for money? I said, anything. I will never do it. I've had one gyro in my life uh, from leaving school. And I said, I will never do that again. Because I just thought... And she kind of understood, but we were poor growing up. We had nothing. So she kind of understood where I was coming from, but she also understood that you, you need to live. You need to, you need to either get a job, get a, get, do something with yourself, or, um, or go and sign on. I said, I won't do it. I just said, refuse to do it. So that's why I did little jobs like working at Wimpy, working at Next Closed Store. Uh, I had three jobs about from one to the other and then fit the gym yeah. in around it. But that was me. That's like I've always been that way. Do you remember like the first ever time you got into like a serious fight as a kid or like an altercation, saying that sticks into your mind? I had one fight I can remember at school. Hold on. <coughs> <coughs> Let me ask that again. Yeah. Johnny, do you remember the first time you ever got into like a serious altercation as a kid? Or like a serious argument, something that sticks out in your brain? I had one fight I can remember at school. And his name was Russell Brennan, pretty boy at school. He uh, lived in a, a pub, so he was a bit more mature than the rest of us. Always had money in his pocket. I think he was robbing off his parents. God, if he sees this, I've grassed him up. He was robbing off his parents because he'd come to school with a wad of £10 notes. And like, first time I'd ever seen a £50 note. And he'd have it at school. And, um, <clears throat> and, and all the girls loved Russell. And uh, I had a friend called Kenny Furness. And Russell was a bit of a bully, but he never really focused that on me. We were kind of friends at school. 
and uh, there was a girl called Therese Kay, and um, and everybody fancied her. And Russell, I think me and Therese were friends, and um, Therese were friends, and uh, and Russell was a bit jealous of that, so he turned his attention on me, like picking on me, calling me monkey and shit like that. There's only about probably eight kids of colour in our school, and my friend Kenny White guy, and. Uh, I'm like, it just, it grabbed me, man. I just struggled to just, like, turn a blind eye to that when people are using that as, a, as even as a joke, as a friendly banter. And and so the the, the salesman in me, <laughs> or the hustler in me, um, I'd give him shit back. So so um, so I said, you know what? We're going to fight in the woods. Let's do it in the woods. He went, you are, because Russell was more mature. So we're going down to the woods to fight uh, at dinner time. And everybody knew, Russell Brennan's fighting Johnny. I was Johnny Smith at school. That's another story. Johnny Smith. Um, Russell Brennan's going to fight Johnny Smith. I was popular with, with the girls. I didn't have girlfriends, but I was, I was like that friend. I was friend-zoned. And um, went down to, uh, down to the woods. And, uh, and I'm like, Kenny, yo, listen, you do the time. And we'll, put, we'll make it rounds. So I, said, so I said to Russell, just to intimidate him, in front of everyone in class, I said, I want you to bring all your friends, bring all the girls, make sure everybody's there. And he's like, Russell's now thinking, shit, it's my fancy's here. And I'm telling everyone, me and Russell are fighting. So now Russell's thinking, he's too confident here, because I'm telling everybody. In my head, I'm thinking, he's going to batter me. But I've got to try and do his head in. So even from then, at school, I used to play that silly game. And uh, went down to the woods. Uh, Russell, he had man strength. Boom, straight on me. He's punching me in the face, and I'm covering my face. Next minute, time! Kenny, my mate, doing time. Time! And round one, Russell got off. <laughs> he got off. Then, then, then round two, I run into Russell, bah, 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 in the woods. Everybody's there screaming and shouting. And then, uh, and then uh, um, we had all of each other. We're trying to strangle each other. He said, do you give up? I said, you give up? Yeah, yeah, all right, we give up. Then it was a class as a draw. And then all of his mates that were joining in, with him calling me monkey and calling me all his names. Me and Kenny weren't around school, picking him off one at a time, slapping him up and just giving him a hard time because they all got brave now because Russell, Russell Brennan, Mr. Mr. Handsome, he'd, he'd, uh, he'd been turned over and he wouldn't protect him. Uh, but that's my, that is my only altercation in school. The only one. <coughs> there's, a bottle, there's a bottle of water in that cooler. <coughs> Fuck. Right. Sorry. So that was your your only one. Yeah. So obviously that's the one that. Yeah, but it probably kind of shaped a little bit your kind of those years for you as well. Uh, yeah, because even though I was scared, I did it. I, I was scared. You know, and like Russell, I'm like thinking we're the same age, and you're like you. you but you know, I realised then. Now, I realise now, looking back on it, that we all have the same fears, how we deal with it. And I'm quite sure Russell was... I wasn't scared, I was nervous. But I actually thought I was scared. Whenever I was nervous, I thought it was fear. So I thought I had no bottle. I thought I couldn't fight. But, and I always mistook nerves for fear. And uh, that was always my problem. Even fighting in the, in, the, in the early years, I always thought I was scared. I wasn't like everybody else. Talk to me about a time that you felt that you were losing... Um, sorry, I'll ask that again. Talk to me about a time that you felt that you were fighting a losing battle in your life. 
that came when I <coughs> boxed Carlos De Leon, De Leon in Sheffield. And I still, in my head, thought I was scared. I'd, I'd done everything. Um, I'd won a British title. Um, I'd, I'd like So far at that stage, I'd done everything. Got a crap for the world title. Barry Hearn was, I was signed with Barry. He was my promoter. Uh, nice guy, Barry. So I like, you think Eddie's a bad man now. Barry was like the Don then. And um, years ahead of his time. And he gave me the opportunity to fight for the WBC title in Sheffield. And um, and and I'm always grateful to that. I must admit. And uh, but I knew I was a boy in a man's body. To me, that was the day of reckoning. To do that, to do, to me, that was the day I was getting exposed. I was absolutely bottling it because I used to think upside down. I I didn't think I was good. I'd won the British title. I didn't think I was good. I thought they were bad. The fights I'd won. I just thought, nah, they're not very good. So now I'm in with Carlos de Leon for Puerto Rico. Carlos has, has, has he fought Evander Holyfield and people like that. And um, I think that was his only loss. I'm not sure up to that point. Uh, but he was old. I should have had that fight. And um, and so, and it was my opportunity. And I bottled it. I can remember getting there, getting to City Hall, looking outside, looking through the curtains, and it was packed out in Sheffield. There was like Frank Bruno was there, Michael Watson was there, you know, Linda Lusardi was there. And I'm like, cast for Coronation Street with her. I'm like, oh my God, proper bottled it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So I knew I'd gone. I'd gone. My, my head was done in. I'd gone. And uh, Brendan was doing everything, screaming at me, talking to me nice, being cool with me. I'd gone. I just thought... I'm going to get knocked out and shamed up in front of these people. And I actually didn't even want the beating. Uh, I ran, I held, I was negative, they, they booed. <clears throat> I actually dreamt about the result before the fight. And I told Brendan, and he, he couldn't make sense of it, because the result was, they had my hand up, but he was smiling. And there was a guy in a pinstripe suit with a curly hair, white guy, curly Afro hair sticking two fingers up. That was my dream vision. And um, I told Brendan, I thought, why am I smiling then? No, why is he smiling if he's got my hand up? Consequently, in the dream, it was a draw. So he kept his title. So he's smiling. They've got my hand up as well. And I looked into the crowd on the stage. There's a guy, pinstriped suit, curly hair. Why in care? Because they're abused. Tell him, screams right. If you try and find that fight, God forbid, on... Um, on YouTube, I've never watched the past three rounds because I, I want to reach into the screen and slap the face of me because I knew 
how my head was thinking. I knew what I was thinking. I thought, come on, Johnny, wake up. Wake up, I knew. And um, so it was a draw, but I saw the good and bad of human nature. Before that, the headlines on the front of uh, the boxing news, um, um, go Johnny, go, or something like that. We'd always want to get on boxing news. That's what all fighters wanted to do. I was on, I was on the front page. <clears throat> and um, I was in the newspaper and everything. We were talking about it. So when you wish for fame, uh, or when you, when you wish for people to know who you are, you've got to be careful what you wish for because you might know who you are for the wrong things. And I was known for being a coward, being boring, being useless. And Benny gave me the name Johnny the Entertainer. I hated it from day one. Because it's like saying, I'm a comedian. Go on, make me laugh. I, I'm not a comedian. So, um, but Brendan, that was the hardest period and the lowest time. And I thought, I shouldn't be doing this. Um, because I just found the good and bad of human nature. People could, were so cruel. And and I realised, when you see something in the newspaper about somebody, um, it's somebody's mother, brother, someone's mother, brother, sister, father, whatever. And if they're taking the piss out of them and they're abusing them, it hurts somebody. And I, I was at the I was a butt of that and I hate, I hated it. I think the best joke was <clears throat> some guy was in a coma for ten years and he put the Johnny Nelson Carlos de Leon fight on uh and he woke up to turn the TV off to go back to sleep. You know, that was a, that was the joke in the newspaper. I'm like a little cartoon John, I thought, bastards. But that was a, the point where I was low and I mean people mock me. You know people call you a wanker or toss it to your face. It's all right them doing it behind your back, but to your face, it means they've got no respect for you. They've no fear for you. They, they, they just think, what are you going to do about it? Whereas before, they were all over me. In Sheffield, anyway. And uh, that was the lowest time. And I, that's when I had to decide where I was going with my life. But that was, now looking back on it, was the best thing that could have happened to me. What are the everyday battles in your life away from boxing? Um... <clears throat> I like stability. I love family. Um, um, and that's what I try. And, and always, no matter what, me and my wife is split up. I've got uh, three daughters. Um, I knew when I was younger, I loved family. I loved, we were, there was like uh, Brenton uh, Taslim, the oldest, oldest one, different dad. Uh, uh, Jeff. His dad, different dad. Alan Brinton, different dad. Teresa, different dad. Me, different dad. And Oliver, different dad. But we all lived in the same house. We were family. We're family. I don't say my half-brother and sister. We were all family. And um, my mum grafted. She was a proper worker. We were skin. <clears throat> and I always remember that. I loved being at home. Mum would say, do you want to go to school today? I'd say, no, no. She didn't make me go to school. I could go on that go. Um, and I can remember growing up and everybody disappearing one at a time, uh, moving to London. Tassin moved to London. Jeff already lived in, I think he was in America, in New York at the time. Brenton moved, Alan moved. Even Oliver, my younger brother, moved. So there's only me and my sister left in Sheffield. Um, and I, I found it inside. It, it, it made me feel unsettled. Mum and Dad split up. Um... And it made me feel unsettled. And I thought, when I get older, no matter what, I'm going to make sure my kids don't know about debt. 
you know, about the worries about paying the light bill or somebody knocking on the insurance man, Paget's coming to the door for insurance money, and you're hiding. Uh, don't, I don't, I want my kids to enjoy being kids. But I used to hear all that when we didn't have money enough money to pay the light bill. I used to hear where, <coughs> um, it was, I used to hear mum and dad arguing about not having money to pay bills. And um, so in my head, I thought, when I get older, my kids, I'm going to let them enjoy being kids. I'm going to let them, I'm going to make sure they know I'm always there no matter where I am in the world. I'm gonna make sure my home is their home, no matter how old they are. And now, even now, you know, I've got, I live in my house, the kids live in their house. <clears throat> but they still come round to my house like it's Morrison's, they'll just walk in the cupboard. I still cook like I'm cooking for a few people. And if, and so every day, you can walk in my house, take up some food out of the pot to eat some food. And if nobody comes in, I'll put it in the fridge. So, so I know my kids know, no matter what, my home is their home. Until they're, they're 50, 60 years old, until um, I die. Uh, so I think stability, uh, family stability, I'm not bothered about. Money's not my God. As long as I've got a roof on my, over my head and I can pay my bills, I'm good. I'm all right. And, and, and so, and I try and put that into the girls as well. As long as you're happy, I'm good. I didn't make mad money out of boxing. Um, I love my job. You know, doing what I'm doing. I'm talking about something that I did, I know about, I know inside out. I'm good with people. Um, so my biggest battle in life is just just making sure I create stability for my family uh, and for me. I think once I create stability for myself, my career elevated. Tell me about a time that you felt that you were having to fight back tears. Wow. Um... Here's a few of them. Uh, I'd say the first one <coughs> was a time around. Fuck her. Sweet. You alright? Wait a bit. Yeah, go again. You good? Yeah. Sure? Yeah. Alright. Uh, you asked Matt question me. You asked that question, it's just, <clears throat> I don't deal with grief great. So obviously my first one was losing Brendan, <clears throat> second one was losing my mum. We're coming up to our anniversary now, so. Should we stop this? Yeah, stop. Let's stop. Yeah. So you asked me, first time I did a whole back, well, tears of grief. And I don't deal with grief very good. <clears throat> I think the first one... <clears throat> Obviously losing Brendan, bad, devastating, kill me. Um, and then losing my mum. So our anniversary, first year of her passing this year, coming up close. Which is why um, we've had to cut a couple of times. Um, <clears throat> so, so I think as an adult, I think grief, um, grief hurts, but grief, grief, kills you as an adult man it kills you because you, you've got adult reasoning understanding thinking emotions uh, and it's that balanced back ability um, so yeah so I am a bit of a pussy sometimes but but uh, I don't I, I struggle before to speak about Brendan I struggle uh, to speak about uh, my mum but it's something that you probably everybody's have to go through it at some point, so you've got to try and rationalise it in your head <clears throat> and deal with it somehow. 
Uh, but it's just, that's part of life. It's part of life. My kids will probably have to go through it. Um, and their kids will probably have to go through it. But it's part of life. It's just how you deal with it. It's like when you're in your 20s, even in your 30s, you don't really contemplate that happening with your parents or whoever. Until <coughs> so you get yeah. older. And you see you get, them getting older. And when and I was younger, older. I used to wish I'd be dead by the time I was 50. Because I didn't, I know, I'm crazy. And then as I got older, I thought, hold on a minute, if I die, that means mum's heart's going to be broken. Oh, sorry, God, sorry, God, I didn't mean it, I didn't mean it, mum died first. Oh, shit, no, God, sorry, I didn't mean Because, because, and so I'd see, I'd, I'd see my parents getting older. Uh, I'd see Brendan getting older. You saw the deterioration, you saw the difference of them. My mum came over to this country. She was over to this country in 1959. She was 29 years old, I think, by herself. Uh, she fought tooth and nails. The stick she got for all the different kids, all the kids she got to different baby fathers. But she was our mum. We were brothers and we are brothers and sisters. We are a, we are family. And she took a lot of stick, a lot of shit. <clears throat> and so my mum went through a tough, tough life. At the time when Jack the Ripper was <clears throat> running rampage around the around the UK, my mum had to get up at half past four, five o'clock to walk to to uh, to the hospital to 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 be a domestic, <clears throat> an auxiliary nurse, a cleaner basically. And we were with worry. My mum grafted. <clears throat> um, so when it was her time, you know, her mother lived till she was 108. Her grandmother lived till she was 116. Uh, my mum came to my house and passed away in my house. Um, it's hard. It's hard, and I don't, I don't, I, I don't wish it on my worst enemy. But I know all my friends at the time. Straight away, I know what they're thinking. They're going to think, God, that's going to happen to me and my mum soon. Because that happened to me with my friend when his mum died two years old on Christmas Day. <coughs> um, but it's, um, I, I'm not good with it. I'm not good with it. I'm, I'm very. I, I think. I think to be a fighter, especially when you're looking within yourself, you learn to put things into com- into a compartment and keep them in that compartment so you can deal with other things. And that is a habit I've got, a habit I do. That's what I do. Um, so I put things into a compartment. And, and once I open that compartment and start to really think about it, then I th- it all comes out. So that's why... So when you drop that on me, I'm thinking, shit, I wasn't ready for that. <clears throat> I'm not ashamed of it. That's just me. That's, that's, that's how I deal with it. Some people are really tough. Some people... I ain't that guy. Um, I'm, I'm human like everybody else. Um, which is why he said, you, you, don't want to, you don't want to do this. I'm, no, no, we'll do it. We're cool. Because I want other people to see, you know what, he's, I'd probably be like that. I, I want them to understand it. Um, uh, but yeah, to deal with grief, it's heavy, man. So, so, I used to be a proper crybaby when I was a kid. And my brothers and my sister, they used to take the piss. Like, how are you a boxer? You know, my sister used to batter me. So and they they uh, they uh, they find it even now they find it funny <clears throat> that me little Johnny Smith from school um, to end up being a boxer. Even my so back to the Smith bit. My sister was called Smith because that was her dad's name. So that when she went to school, she was on the register as Smith. I was and and so they automatically assumed I was a Smith. And so when we go home to say to mom, mom, they're asking why we all got different names. Uh, Mama said, "Tell them to come and speak to me. None of that bloody business." Uh, so it wasn't until I kind of left school 
that I I started using Nelson. I'm on my birth certificate, it's Nelson, but everybody who knew me from school is Johnny Smith. You didn't know that, did you? That part I didn't. <laughs> so I know you've got a few names. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Do you ever feel like you're having to or had thought demons in your life? If so, what are they? Or what yeah. were they? Self-confidence. Um, massively. Uh, and I mean, trust me, you know when you can't read great, you can't write great, you think you're the only thick one in the world. Uh, I might have had dyslexia. So a couple of people said, well, that's probably what you've got. You know, because sometimes I read things and they're like, don't look right. And I say something else that's not actually there. <clears throat> Never actually properly looked into it, but a few people said, it sounds like that's the situation. And, um, and so I didn't quite get it. I didn't quite get why everybody else got it, why everybody else had seen something. I'd just look at things differently. And, and looking at things differently, um, I was probably just not in the same mindset as everybody else. I always thought I was the thicket on the bike. I just look at things differently. I look at a subject, and you might look at this behind me, you think, that's a small piece of wood. I'll be thinking... Why did put that wood there? Or, or we just—I just look. My view of things are very different from other people. So it's like I suppose it's the job I do. You know, we'll be watching a fight. I'll be looking at other things. I'll be looking at the fighter standing on man's foot, where you're looking, thinking, "Oh, he's done this. He's done that." The little, the little silly things. That's what the little devil in the detail is. What I'm looking at instead of paying is that attention. Why you come out with some really crazy predictions. Yeah. yeah. That's probably that actually makes sense that, now. You're that, actually saying that <laughs> after twelve years of dying, you and the stupid shit you've come out with on TV. Yeah, but now but I, know I look why at you things. So I I always thought I was the dummy, um, and so having that and then having that kind of chip on my shoulder and trying to bullshit my way through, not being able to read very well as an to an adult and getting exposed at certain times, and it's embarrassing. I didn't think I had dyslexia. I just thought, I'm, I'm thick. But I'm good with people. I'm good with, um, I'm good in, in, in human situations. My education started when I left school and met Brendan. Uh, a school could never have taught me what that man taught me. Um, and so I realised I'm not thick. Uh, I realised I just look at things differently. I feel a lot of people, especially like, at that sort of time, I'm not outing your age here for this, yeah. I'm just saying there's a lot of things that are diagnosed now and labelled as, as stuff I don't know. Yeah, you're right, you're right. And then whether di how big uh, dyslexia was, uh, whether it was even diagnosed, and I don't know, I'm not talking like ill-educated, yeah. I just generally don't know. But Yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying. When I explain, when I, I, I read something, and then whether I'm sat next to be like, what are you looking at? And I'm like, where's it said that? And then so many people said, you've got dyslexia, you need to check that out. And I'm like, well, what can I do about it? I'm still going to be, no matter, even go and check it out, I'm still going to see the same thing. So uh, I just learned to to get around it, learn to hustle it, you know. And that's what I'm saying at school, I didn't, because I thought I was thick, I, I just bullshit my way through school. Um, I ended up actually going back to college. I was about 24, 25. Uh because I needed, to, I thought I'm going to have to get a job here because my boxing career ain't going great. Um, I was still getting this backlash in the stick from the De Leon fight. I'd lost it to James Wayne from the IBF title. I thought you're not a boxer, you're not a boxer, Johnny. You need to get a job. 
sat in classes like a 25-year-old next to 16-year-olds that had left school to go to college to do English and maths. Um, and I eventually got uh, like an access course version of an A-level English. Um, I think I eventually got a C-grade maths to get into uni. And um, I thought, how the fuck have I done that? I, I'm, I'm good with words. I'm good with, the, with English grammar. Um, but I'm not great at spelling, my writing's terrible. <clears throat> got into uni, so now I've got the equivalent of two A-levels to get into uni, which you needed. Uh, went to uni to do a bit um, a sports management um, uh, sports management course um, at university. I did the first year, and I, again, it felt like being at school. I just thought, I just feel as though everybody's like, on it and I'm not, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and then I got a job sparring, uh, fighting in South Africa. <clears throat> and it was midterm and I'm like thinking, you know what, I'm going to take this year off and then pick it up in a year's time. Never went back. So I did the first year, never went back. Never went back to uni. Have you ever had to fight depression in your life? Uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think, <clears throat> first of all, was the first one when did the Leon fight. Did the Leon fight. And it was because I was, I was, as a mummy's boy, I just looked at life differently. And so when people were being horrible to me, it really hurt. And I mean, everybody. So if, every, if I called you a tosser or wang or whatever, you'll think, all right. If everybody's calling it here, everybody, you get paranoid when people look at you thinking he thinks I'm this, that, and the other. And I've, I just went into my shell I went into my home I was at home and the only place I went was my house the boxing club my house the boxing club because people were just did you know it was depression then when you were going for nah, it no not at all not at all and if, if I'm honest with you at, at that time I actually thought an easier way out was topping myself why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them with Royal Caribbean you don't just go to the beach you visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America you don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zipline through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And the only reason why I didn't is because I didn't have the bottle. I thought, how can I do it? That, that's what I thought. And you actually, you, at those times you were talking about, yeah, yeah. that's what, yeah. but you, in your head, because I've heard this from a few people, they, they have that feeling of what you just said there, but they're very honest and saying, do you know what? I actually haven't got to bo- bottle to actually. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It. People that do it must yeah. be properly screwed in the head to have the bottle to do it. Must be, it's so brave. To do it, and I'm not encouraging it, trust me. It don't mean you're anybody, it means you've just chosen a way out instead of having to deal with it. Because you've got to be brave to do that. I ain't got a bowl. 
I, I just didn't have the bottle. I thought it's gonna hurt, and so I thought you got you got to tough this out, Johnny boy. Um, and it wasn't easy. Um, I was fortunate enough to have Brendan, and with me having Brendan, he dealt with things in such an unorthodox way, and I didn't realise he was dealing with it until I looked back and ha- how he dealt with it, uh, and it, it was a lesson learned massively. Like when the penny dropped. And when I'd found my strength back, and it's not a day and night thing, you know, we're talking, I boxed the Leon, 999, I boxed James Waring, I thought I was all good. Someone shouted in the ring, remember the De Leon fight. In the fight, I just, boom, climbed up straight away. I was that, I was back in that dark spot again, but I'm out in the middle of a ring in a fight. Pfft, done, I might as well have just gone home. Might as well just took my gloves off. It took me about five years to get over it. Five years to get my head round and be strong and have and have rhino skin to think, I don't care what you say, dude. There's nothing you can tell me that upsets me. I know now, in my job I'm in, many things have been said, Nelson, this, that, and the other. There is nothing, no man or woman on this earth that can say to me, say something to me, that will break me. And I, I know that because... <clears throat> um, because I... I've been there. I've been there. You can't upset me. You can say whatever you want. You, you can call me whatever you want. You can't upset me because I know who I am. I don't need validation from nobody. I don't need um, anybody to tell me I'm good. Anybody to tell me I'm special. Anybody. I know what I can do. I know I'm special. And once I became world champion, I honestly and truly believed I was the best fighter in the world. And it doesn't matter what anybody says. That's what Anderson truly believed. I thought, giving me the chance to fight for these other titles, I'll get it. So even when I'm asked, do you think you'd have beaten Usyk? I feel no way in saying, yeah, I would have done. And everybody's like, oh, who the fuck's Nelson think he is? And I'm like, I don't care what you think. I know what I'm capable of doing. I know what... <clears throat> so when people try and abuse, accuse, point a finger, trust me, mates, I'm too strong for that. I'm too strong. It's like, I don't do drugs. You know, I've had a drink. I'm a bit of a weakling when it comes to drinking. Uh, I, I, I'm a strong character. I'm probably not the easiest of boyfriends. Um, uh, I probably wouldn't have been. Was probably wasn't the easiest of of husband of a husband. But some people might call it stubborn. Uh, but I've been through too much in my life to um, to to let anybody. Break me. Warn them. I mean, in that way. In that way. (coughs) (coughs) Fuck. (coughs) God. Right. Where does your fight spirit come from? Where does that stem from, you as a person? My fight spirit, I think, stems from my mum, her mum and her mum. Uh, my fighting spirit stems from uh, that chip on the shoulder where um, I've just got a bit of a stubbornness. I'm not a fighter, I'm just a bit stubborn. Uh, and I stuck with boxing because it was all I had. I stuck, And then it got to a point where I realised I've actually achieved something. Me, You're actually qualified in doing something. You can do this. That's what you've given your life to. So I, I believe I've done everything right, so I expect success. 
um, to be a fighter, I know I could be getting the life kicked out of me and I still try and fight back. Because I've been on the other side when I've tried to grab, I've tried to hold, I've tried to run, I've tried to cower away. And, and so I've done that. I've, done, I've been there. And so now I think, no, that's not going to happen to me because I understand what failure and success is. I know how much of a thin line it is. Uh, and so at the time, I, I think about what I said now as an adult. And at the time, I think when I boxed, I said, I'm willing to die in the ring. That was going into the ring against Carl Thompson for the world title because I knew I'd done everything. And I truly believed I would... I was going to die before I came out there a loser. And every time I boxed, the second I won the world title, I said, I'll be dead before I lose this title. And that's how sure I was of who I I am. And because I look at the journey of my mum to this country, how, how courageous it was for her to leave Jamaica, get on a boat, for six weeks, whatever it was, to come to, to come to England by herself, to start a home, start a, start start a new life. The intention was to come to the UK for five years, make some money, send it back to her family. Eventually, you know, she, she ended up. This is was a, this was a home, and I think, can you imagine at twenty nine years old, one of us lot doing that now. My kids thinking, I'm going to get on a boat, Dad, and go and travel for six weeks to go and live over there and set up a home. Don't know nobody there. I ain't got a house to walk to. I ain't got nowhere to go to. And I'm thinking, if my mum's got that kind of courage, what are you talking about, Johnny? What, what are you doing? You know, and there's a, there's a saying in our family, in our household, stop your foolishness. Your foolishness is just worrying about the silly things that we make a big deal of that are not life-threatening. And um, I had to have a word with myself because I kept failing, kept falling, kept doubting. And I thought, I, have no, I gave myself no reason to fail. I trained right, prepared right, I thought right, I've done my homework. I gave myself no reason not to succeed. So, so and if I did, if I cheated in training, if I'd missed something out, then, then I'd give myself a reason. That's why I trained so hard. You fight for your family, your kids, country, people. Just you fight for whoever you fight for. Who fights for you? Who, who's in your corner? Rain or shine? Uh, I'm quite sure my family are, but I always think I always think I've got to be a provider. I always think. You can't help me. I can help you. I'm, that's what my, that's what I'm here for. That's the responsibility I took on. When I got married, I got married for life. Me and my wife are still friends, even though we split up. Um, um, so my our kids are our kids. That's my family. You know, I look at her like it sounds a bit weird, like a sister or something like that. I've got a sister. I've got my brothers, uh, and even if we don't see each other much, you know, I fight for my family. I'd love to be in a position where. <coughs> I could take care of them all. I don't care. Listen, as long as I can get from A to B, I don't care. I'm all right. I'm good. I had Brendan. I had the wisdom of Brendan. And Brendan, to me, I feel that if anything, if anything, if you're not a spiritual person or not, I think God put me in a situation where I was in the same, lived in the same city as Brendan. I have never met anybody like him. 
and I won't meet anybody like him again. I learned so much from that guy, and and he wasn't just a coach; he was a a proper good man. You hear that that phrase so many times. I knew this man, you know. This man let me into his home. He let me, he, he, and, and you hear it many times with fighters and their coaches. Like I looked at him like a father figure. Ben was my education. He was my mentor. He was my he was my friend. That that did selfless acts for me at times but people don't know about um, he stuck by me when everybody was abusing him and what he was working on and all the work he'd put into Sheffield he still stuck by me because I said come on come out of the gym but he didn't uh, so I was fortunate enough to <coughs> to meet Brendan <coughs> Jesus right. is it more difficult to fight physically as in your actions or fight mentally as in your mind um, mentally, if I'm it to me, I think. I think um, once the mental side of me was was strong, the physical side followed. You can be, you can have an amazing physique, fitness, and everything. If your head's not right, it don't matter what you do, you're not in it. And so, to me, I've always worked on on that, uh, and I get that. Uh, and we might all have those little dark corners in our head that we just don't want to go to. But I feel as though mentally um, I can be so strong, focused, um, <clears throat> single-minded. I can be when I have to be. I don't think I can. I know I can. Because um, I've been there. I've been in situations where I've been away as a sparring partner and I've just, it's been horrible. You know, it's been the worst place I've been on the border of like Poland and a place called Frankfurt Order, six weeks, only black guy there, couldn't walk in the streets because they'd chase me. I'm like, I'm there for six weeks, nobody's talking to me. All I've got is the army radio to listen to. I did that for three years, kept going back and forth because I wanted to get myself mentally strong. People don't work on that mental strength. They work on the physical strength, but people don't know how to work on mental strength. Yeah, I think that's if, more so. Yeah, people, people don't know how to do it. Yeah, they don't know how to do it. What they do is they'll listen to some mantra or they'll listen to X, Y, Z. To work on you, you've got to listen to you. You can't distract you with, with outside interference because when you close your eyes, only you know what's going on. So you, you've got to learn yourself to deal with the boredom. You've got like a, it's like a little having a little ping pong ball in your head, settling in happiness, sadness, uh, madness, uh, 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 darkness, and you've got to learn to deal with all those bored, frustrating moments. Because if you don't, if it catches you by surprise, you're depressed. You're thinking, oh, my God, because I just can't get my mind out of thinking this. You've got to learn to deal with every emotion that is up there. You've got to make a choice for you. and you Stop looking for someone else to do it for you. Whereas, whereas if you know something that's going to set you off and make you go down a path of negativity, you're going to be pissed off all day, and you've done it once, you've done it twice, you've done it three times, why are you going to go there again? Think, you know what? I'm not going to go down there because I know what it's like. And it's easy to think negatively. It's easy to to put yourself down there. Everybody can do it. Everybody does it. But you just think, well, I know what's down there. He's going to put me in a bad place. So I'm just not going there. <laughs> That's it. That's how you think. That's how I think. I'm, I'm a pretty. I'm a. I'm great company. Right? At home, my kids will phone up, Dad, turn the music down. i got music playing in my house, nice and warm. I'm walking out my socks and my underpants. And like, I don't need anybody to, to make me happy. So, so everything else outside me is, is a bonus. 
You know, I'm good company. And actually, at the moment, we've got Christmas coming up. I don't know when this is coming out. I bought myself a black elf. I call him Errol. <laughs> so What? <laughs> and I keep putting him in places around the house. And I walk in the room, I just chuckle to myself. And so when people come in the house, they'll say, what's that? I went, that's Errol. And they're like, they're looking. I'm just having a bit of laugh, a bit of a banter with myself. And uh, I'll put me in the bag. I just do little things to make my, to tickle myself. And uh, and so when people come in that vibe, my house is a good energy. It's a good vibe. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good place to be. And and so people, are gra- you gravitate to come to where I am because you think it's just a good energy in here. And that's that's what I like to be around. I try and avoid um, the negativity of other people, and that's that's easy to say. It all sounds all all new age, whatever. But you've got to think to yourself, this is me. I'm dealing with. I've got to deal with. I'm not looking to blame anybody else for my happiness and my sadness. My responsibility is to make me make sure I'm happy, content in my life. Then I can pass that on to others, and which I hope I do. Last one. Um, answer is, or you can interpret it as whichever way you please. Um, and I mean this from a complete non-boxing sense. What drives that fight within you? What drives it? The fear of being poor again. I've, I've, my home life, my, as a youngster growing up, we were poor. And when people see this, when you read about people being poor, you don't know what poor is unless you were poor. <clears throat> I'm always scared of actually being poor again. And not money's not my god, but what I'm saying is I want to be all right. I want my kids to be all right. So I'll always work. Um, um, I'll always and, and 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 poor doesn't just have to be financial. And I mean spiritually, I just want to be want to be happy. I want to I want to be in a in a happy environment. So, so that's my drive, socially, domestically, is, is the fear of, of, I know what dark days are, I've been dark, I've been skinned, um, and I don't, want, I, don't, I don't want that to pass on to the next generation of my family. So no matter what my kids think of me, uh, when I'm long gone, they'll always know, you know what, my dad, he was like, he's a right joker, he's all right, my dad. Um, this the boxing lock is just a, was a stepping stone in my life. What I achieved, it wasn't my life. I didn't <clears throat> measure myself by it, um, and and everything I achieved in it. I'm like everybody else. I'm a fanboy. I'm like shit. I can't believe I did that. Um, but I just the fear of actually, the fear of actually, of actually. I, th- I think it's probably a regression of what you think when you was younger. Little things scared me when I was younger. When I heard mum and dad like, not they didn't have any money to pay the insurance man or Ken next door. He had some chickens in his back garden. Easter was coming up. Mum asked him for a chicken for Easter. He was going away. She went to work. Ken came round, gave us a live chicken. And so she thought my man had cut it up and skin it up and we'd have the chicken. He gave us a live chicken. We were playing with this chicken around the house. Chicken shit everywhere around the house. It's that skin we are. Mom's giving him the last couple of pounds she's got for for us to eat at Easter. <clears throat> she came home, saw chicken feathers and shit all over the place in the house because we were playing with Charlie, we called him. And she's like, what is this? 
And so we went, Ken's brought you around. So you went round to Ken's house, banging on the door. They'd gone away for the week, Easter weekend. So now we're playing with our Easter dinner. And so mom's got to kill it. Went downstairs into the kitchen, tied a piece of rope, string to his leg, tied a string to the kitchen table, uh, kitchen chair. We were on the stairs, chopped his head off. No! I hear you, mum, I hear you. We ate that chicken good, though. <laughs> but, but we were skinned. And, and I just think, and listen, I'm quite sure there's people that are in worse situations. You know, I, 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 before we finished, we were that skinned. At one point, my mum worked in a mental hospital up the road. It was Christmas. And some of the toys, what the kids played with there, that they'd cast aside that it might have been broken or dirty. Mum, I think she nicked him, uh, wiped him down, put him in a black bin bag and brought them down. So Christmas Day, we got up, mum's at work. She's finished at about two o'clock, I think it was. So Christmas Day, our Christmas hadn't started yet. Um, my Christmas Day, mum comes in. <coughs> with a black bag these are our presents I just walked in with our black, a black bag I got like a toy car with a man in it um, he put batteries in it um, I got a packet of bourbon biscuits and a Boney M record uh, my sister got some drafts we got all them little we got the broke down toys from from the from the uh, the hospital it was a mental hospital um, <coughs> uh, my mum worked at and and we knew we kind of knew, kind of figured it out, and um, and that. So I look back on them times. I think, Mom, you know what? I gotta give it to you. I gotta give it to you. But I just think it's, you've got to just change the path and generational uh, curses of your family. So what drives me? My, what drives me is I want to provide for those I love. I want to make sure those I love are proud of me. I want to make make sure those I love. Uh, have aspirations. They strive for bigger and better than what I've given them, um, and that's what's important to me. Well, Johnny, um, yeah, appreciate your your time. I wasn't expecting this today at all, to be honest with you. Um, I've been interviewing you for like what twelve years now, mm. and like probably apart from maybe one, two of those stories, I had no clue about. So it was uh, it's good because, like I said, we just. And, and people see you on IFL and like we fuck about and you know yeah, yeah. we you know we sort of see that side of, <clears throat> side of you more so than anything else. But behind all that, obviously, that's the whole point of me doing this podcast is to to get these kind of stories. You know, you, I got to give it because when I, I when I saw the one about Eddie, I actually thought I, I actually liked I actually liked it because you saw a different side to him. I knew Eddie when he was ten years old. When I boxed for the European title in Germany, his dad brought him over in the corner, in the, and his dad was in the corner with Brendan, Harold Graham, uh, yeah, and 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 and, uh, and Barry Hearn, and a little ten, eleven-year-old Barney's walking him out doing the Zeke Kyle march in in where in we're in southern Germany. He's like, "Fuck's sake, behave yourself, son!" And he was a real cocky little kid then, and. Um, and I'd not seen Eddie for years later, and then he came to Sky when we were doing ringside, and I'm like. Are you Eddie? He's a proper tall, handsome fella. So when I saw what you, the 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 the, the show you'd done with with Eddie, I actually thought, oh, you know what, great idea. I think it's great. You, you're getting you're getting people to know another, a different side. The same people I interview like week in week out. Yeah. Do you yeah. Know what I mean? Yeah. And you, so it's boxing. That's what we're into. But I think 
everybody's human. I don't know what people will get from this, but I do know that <clears throat> they've got to understand, you know, I'm not an alien, man. I'm just like everybody else. This has been me, Coon Cassius, with Johnny Nelson, or Johnny Smith, whichever one you want. <laughs> uh, for the Raw Fight Within podcast, make sure you comment, like and subscribe, and we will see you next week. We are out. Sports Social Podcast Network.